Hello there, I'm Clara Anfo, and welcome back to This City, a podcast dedicated to the stories, the places, and the people of our wonderful capital city, London. Now, each episode, I'll be talking to some of the city's most recognisable names, whether they were born here or have made it their second home, to hear their very own love letter to London. My guest this time around is one of my most favourite people in the whole wide world. We first became friends in the glorious autumn into winter of 2020 when I signed up for that year's series of Strictly Come Dancing. Um, This was the first Strictly that was done in lockdown and it was an intense, emotional, electrifying experience. Um, Life-changing to be honest and I would do it all again in a heartbeat, especially if I got to dance with this man, Aliash Skorianitz. Aliash is from Slovenia and he made his home in London as a young plucky dancer um, and it led him to who we know now, the guy on telly on Saturday night who is so much more than that. Uh, So without further ado and to tell his London story, here is the glorious Aliash Skorianitz. Partner, I hope I pronounced your surname right. Oh my gosh, dear listener, we've been waiting for this day for a long time. As it is the season of dancing, as the nights are getting longer and colder, as we cuddle up on our sofas, it would be an absolute sin for me not to have this person on this city. This person is one of my most favourite people in the whole wide world. We first became friends in October of 2020 and we haven't looked back since and many, many, many hours were spent in London, mainly in the dance studio because that's where we practised. What a <laughs> delight. Aliash Skolianitz. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Partner, what I love the most about this introduction is that I sound a bit like Santa Claus. <laughs> The nights are getting longer. It's getting colder. It's my turn to show up into your city. By the way, a huge fan of the show, a huge fan of this podcast. So I'm a little bit nervous for this. No, one. no, like, no. In a good way. In a good way. No, listen, man, you don't have to be nervous. Um, I do you think I love about doing this podcast is that it for me, it's about the whole phrase of look, you see it on the tube, you see it on the bus stations, like London is open, right? And this podcast is about people that were either born here or they've made it their second home. And I think you are a great example of somebody that probably didn't think they were going to end up here, but you've thrived in London. I mean, I remember, Clara, the first time that I actually came to London, it wasn't even for Strictly, it was for a theatre show. We were performing in Shaftesbury and uh, we sort of settled down. We lived in Stockwell at the time. You lived in South and- London? Yeah, absolutely. And it was just, I loved how you can get on a tube and you go on whatever, Piccadilly, Jubilee, and every single tube station, it's like a different city. Every single tube station has a different vibe, a different color, a different food, a different cuisine, everything. Like, it's almost like there is like 20 different cities in one big sort of worldwide city that is London. And I fell in love with it because I could never really, I'm from a small village in Slovenia. And uh, I love that sort of that, that community feeling that everyone knows each other. And I feel like you get that in London within the old, like all little small sort of parts of it. 
And uh, I, I've, I've loved it ever since. It's been 10 years now. Yeah, 10, 10 years, years, man. Like, look, there's so much to discuss. I think like, you know, like all superheroes, like all villains, however you choose to identify. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love an origin story, right? And I, I, I'm very intrigued about like little, little Aliash, or I say, I guess not so little, tall Aliash. How tall are you again? I'm six foot. Bang on six foot. Of course he is. Sure. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> little Aliash arriving in London for the first time and like just your initial reaction to it all but I, I want to talk quickly though obviously about you know where you're from because you're from Slovenian I think I think you're actually the first Slovenian person in London I've ever knowingly met I think uh, I, I I can fully believe that because there's only two million of us anyway and uh, I've only maybe met in the last 10 years I've only maybe met about couple of Slovenians and I'm looking for them. I'm not like, you know, I'm not sort of walking on the road and like, I'm always looking for a Slovenian. And uh, there's so few of us. I always say that we are rarer than diamonds. I, you know? I, I think no. you might be like, is, is there a Slovenian community in London? Have you found any or any like restaurants or anywhere to get like your home cooked food or anything like that? The closest that I can get to it, because like Slovenia was a part of former Yugoslavia and uh, we were kind of like, you know, part of the same country along with Croatians, Serbians, Bosnians, Macedonians. And in Acton that I found that out, I would say about four or five months ago, I randomly met those two footballers that, that play for the clubs in London, one for Fulham and the other one for Crystal Palace. And um, it was in an Italian restaurant and I go... Fellas, where do you go for food? Like, because we have a very similar cuisine because of former Yugoslavia. And they go, yeah, man, there's this place in Acton called called Kod Pirketa. And they serve this proper, authentic Serbian-Bosnian grill, which like takes me home. It's honestly, yeah, I haven't been home for two years. I'm so homesick. And that kind of... That kind of made it up for it a little bit. But I'm, I'm, I was just gutted that I've been here for 10 years and I found that out after nine years and I've been craving the food for so long. And uh, now when I found it out, I actually go every single week. Oh, wicked. I try and go every Friday. <laughs> look, look, better late than never, but I bet you always get a hero as welcome when you go in there. Are they always just like, alias? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, because... All of us, sort of those former Yugoslavian countries, were really, really patriotic about that little sort of area that we do have. Slovenia is tiny. I mean, you can drive across the long way. It takes you about four hours max. So it's it's absolutely tiny. It's like going from London to Manchester, but even shorter. I mean, it's a tiny little country. Right. And uh, so we're really, really proud of our borders. And uh, so they wouldn't necessarily... Uh, as soon as a Slovenian walks to a Serbian restaurant, they wouldn't go, oh, look at that guy, you know. Right. It's just that Slovenian fella. <laughs> a, his a history lesson via food. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so you grew up in Slovenia, um, small family. You've got, you got your lovely sister, your lovely mom and dad, who I met via FaceTime when, we, yeah. when uh, you were trying to teach me how to dance. When you turned around to them and said, okay, I'm leaving, guys. I'm, head I'm heading to London. What, 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 was the, what was the vibe? I mean... The hardest part of the whole story was that I'm so close to them. I'm so close, especially to my little sister. We, ever since she was born, really, we were inseparable. And we've always been such a supporting shoulder to one another. And uh, I've always, they took such such big pride in that. And um, 
I obviously went to uni and I sort of moved out a little bit, but I, I was always, you know, such a mama's boy. Uh, that's, you know, we were just so close. It's such a small family. We don't have like many um, uncles and stuff. I have one uncle on one side and then one on the other. So it's a very sort of small family as it is. And then when I was 18, uh, I got this email to go and audition for a theater show. It was um, a Broadway show based in Australia that was on this constant world tour. And the, the show was called Burn the Floor. And um, I got the, the email to audition for that. And I went to London. I went to Dance Attic in Fulham. And uh, I walked through the door, a side story. That's the first time where I locked my eyes with Jeanette ah! that day. And uh, because she was already a part of that company and uh, I auditioned for the role and uh, I didn't get it. <laughs> it took me a week to learn the steps and the guy that was supposed to show me the steps, he really didn't take any second to show me anything. And uh, okay, so I didn't get the job. I go back home and uh, my mom was a little bit livid, you know, like she was like, goodness me, like how the only thing you actually can do is dance and, <laughs> and you didn't get the role. And uh they sent me another email, I would say three or four days later, to that they just started a brand new B company, sort of for everyone that is not ready to just go on the proper tour. And it was six months in Gold Coast, Surface Paradise in Queensland, Australia. <laughs> Poor you. I know. It was an effort, Clarice. It was an effort. And uh, they said, you need to pack your stuff and you leave tomorrow. And uh, I did that. I said, yes, absolutely, straight away. And uh, that was kind of the day that I, that I left home. I was just past 18, almost 19. And uh, then I went to Australia. I did that run for six months. And uh, at, the, at the end of the run, they actually said, you're now ready to go into the cast, uh, the A-cast. And uh, I went on the U.S. tour, which went on for about eight months then that took us to South Africa. And then it was this sort of snowball of burn the floor that didn't stop for three years. And at and, the uh, end of was, that, is that when you appeared in London or was it? Yeah. Yes. At the end of that tour, sort of, I went, I went maybe home twice or three times through that period of, of three years. And that was really the first time that I ever got homesick because I realized that the way the life where it's taking me, it's going to take me away from home. In Slovenia, sadly, you can't do much with dancing anyway. You know, there is not much. Uh, the, the industry there pretty much doesn't really exist. It's really hard to, to make a living out of it. And uh, that's why I was so lucky that I got that chance to leave and to, you know, to explore my, my different avenues, you know, in theater. Mm. And uh, that took me to West End. And I was doing a show in Shaspery. And uh, back in the same theater, actually, where I was supposed to perform three years prior to that, when I didn't get the job, we went back to the same theater, almost like a full circle. Yeah. And that's when the producers from Strictly came to watch. And uh, they offered four of us to, uh, to audition and to do the interview for the Strictly. And uh, that's when Jeanette and I and uh, Kevin, Kevin Clifton, hey. uh, King Kev, we, we both, we all got um, the, the job and we became the pros. That was in 2013. And uh, that was when my whole life changed again. Damn. And uh, yeah. There's so, there's so much to unpick here because what I'm really interested in as well is like a dancer's life in a busy city like London, right? Like just how do you manage to maintain a, maintain yourself mentally and physically, especially like you're young, brand new, 
to a city, I know you're going to want to go out, yeah? <laughs> but also, I mean, yeah. you got to show up and you got to do the job. So what was your sort of like, what was your sort of routine like? So you're living in Stockwell at this point. Yeah. Um, my routine basically was doing the show because obviously in on, on West End, you do eight shows a week. You have one one day off, which for us was Monday. And my routine through the week, uh, Clara, kind of looked like do the show from about 7.30 to about 9 something, go straight to either Freedom, which is in Soho, or to any sort of other um, place of leisure, of social gathering. <laughs> um, I'm a social butterfly, you know that. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that introduced Coffee Patron to about 50,000 people through my life. Never again. <laughs> No, I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I was, I mean, I was so young at the time and you have so much energy. Hangovers don't exist. You can pretty much just do anything, you know, and uh, the job was possibly one of the hardest physical jobs I've ever done. Burn the floor. It's so full on. I mean, the stamina that you need to have to even get to that show, never mind, you know, look good in it was immense. And, uh, but at 21, at 22, you know, it's like, or 9.20, like you can easily go to freedom until whatever o'clock and then, you know, get a bit of rest and you're ready to, to go up and roaring at, you know, 4 p.m. Uh, so it was basically, that's what I did for three years on the tour. I, I saw pretty much most nightclubs, most clubs, the casts were always amazing because we're all dancers. We all have so much to talk about. We were all so proud of the show. And then obviously on Strictly, that changes a little bit because the one thing that came with Strictly was the responsibility. Mm. And at the time when I got the job, I was by far the youngest professional they have ever employed. Uh, I think that the second youngest was, I would say, about six, seven years older than me. And uh, mainly because the amount of responsibility that comes with the with the job, I don't think they ever sort of thought that they could trust someone that age. Because you were, what, 20, uh, 21? I was 20. So 2013, I was 23. 23, right. 23. And, uh, yeah, I think that the, the, the second youngest was about 29. Damn. Uh, one of one of the ladies, which I can't tell you which one, because that would be really rude to say. Which Correct. One, you know, we could do the math. Oh, wow. Thank you, Liash. Thank you for remembering that. And uh, but then because the first season went so well, uh, I mean, I couldn't believe that I, that I managed to we managed to win the first series. I mean, Abba, uh, Abby was incredible. Like she was so good. And uh, yeah, and then a couple of years after that, they started sort of employing younger pros, which I think made made the show even better because there's such a, not just breath of fresh air in terms of dancing and choreography, but just that sort of young eagerness, you know, that someone that is in the early 20s has mm. just, just from the gecko. Yeah, because it's just um, like, uh, like, obviously as an observer, you know, I've always had massive respect and admiration for dancers. And as an observer, just on the show, like, I don't think people realise how much dedication and how much, uh, just almost like, it's, it's, it's beyond ego and it's beyond confidence. It's just this, um, you can't doubt yourself. You just got to go for it, haven't you? I watched this really good interview with Tyson Fury a couple of days ago. And uh, he basically says that in, his success, there is no luck. He goes, when I was 
five, when I was six, when my friends were, you know, socializing, going to cinema, playing in the playgrounds, I was training. And I was this, the, the same. I started dancing when I was five. I trained, you know, five days a week. Every weekend I had a dance competition, if not in Slovenia, somewhere in, in Europe. And uh, I basically sort of missed the childhood, missed, not missed it. I was, you know, focused my effort somewhere else. My childhood, my teenage years, and um, the amount of hours spent in the in the dance studios, I couldn't never put them into into a number. But then it's not just me. I mean, you obviously need to have a support system. My mom and dad, my little sister, you know, I, I wouldn't be over without them mm. because they sacrifice so much of their time, so much of their money. Dancing, especially ballroom Latin dancing, is one of the most expensive things you can put your kids in. Because the dresses, the shoes, the competitions. I mean, there's so much expense everywhere you turn. And uh, without them, I couldn't never, you know, stuck with it for so long. Mm. And uh, But for sure, I mean, I would have never got a job on Strictly if I, if I didn't start that early or if I didn't put that much time into it. So I obviously you need to, I always feel that the first thing, especially when you sort of get a job like that, is to be humble, is to be grounded, is to know where you came from. You know, I'm still that little boy from Slovenia, from a village with one traffic light at the end of the day. And I'm probably going to go back there one day. Uh, this that is happening now is just such a privilege and such an honor, like to be a part of something that big, that big as strictly. But I'm still that boy from Slovenia doing it, and that's never going to change. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about the culture shock as well. Oh. I mean, just because when you first arrived here, like what what things did surprise you, like a, a, about London? What things did you? I mean, you mentioned you had you had one set of traffic lights in your village, so yeah. you you lived in Stockholm, right? That's like South London, one of South London's busiest like little hubs. Were you just was your mind just blown, completely blown with 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 how busy things are, with how quickly people move? That's the one thing. Like, I mean, the speed that people can walk with and it's not running, it's just going somewhere. And then the next thing that I'm never, ever going to forget is like you walk on the street for two minutes and you've just passed 10 different restaurants that serve 10 different cuisines from around the world. And it's not just sort of, you know, locals serving those different dishes. It's people from those areas, from those places in the world that it's authentic. It's, it's exactly what it needs to be. And um, I just love how cultural, how different it is for everyone. And then if you embrace yourself in it, it, it broadens your horizons. It, it, it kind of makes you feel like you're a part of a world, not just a part of a London. You're part of this huge community that, I mean, under our skin, we all have blood that is exactly the same anyway. And that's where I sort of felt that straight away. I felt like I'm a part of a planet. I'm not just a part of 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 Stockholm, of whatever, of King's Cross, you know? And that was the most beautiful feeling. I mean, culture shock for sure. I mean, we didn't, we didn't even have roundabouts. And you guys in UK love your roundabouts, you know, as, as little as waiting as possible, which I, which was easy, easy thing to get used to. But I would say that sort of mixture of culture was the most beautiful thing to to First it was a shock, but then after a couple of days, it was it was such a such a joy. Well, yeah, because I mean, and and I say it's like respectfully, because I know I'm not your first black friend, <laughs> which I'm really sad about. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, just I guess was was seeing like di different people from like all, like literally all over. Was that was that quite was that quite overwhelming for you and quite? 
Yeah, because Slovenia is such a, I mean, it's such a small country, mm. such a close space at the time, especially when I was living there. Now it's completely different. Now it's completely different. You know, the world, as soon as you can get on a flight, the world becomes really small mm. all of a sudden. You see so much, you know, the world becomes, literally becomes your oyster, especially if you love oysters. And I love oysters. And, uh, but, you know, it's for like for anyone, like when you, when you, when you, when you get to a, to a different place, to a new place, you know, it's, it's that it takes you that second to accl- acc- acclimatize. That's it. That's the word. And, you know, everyone, everyone takes whatever, whatever time they, they need. But I, I always found it so easy. I always found it so, so natural, really. I mean, I hate the word organic, but it's almost, it's almost like that. You know what I mean? I've traveled to places be, before I came to London that kind of taught me those things, how you need to be perceptive, how you need to be, you know, like, like I said, we all have the, 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 the same blood running through us. Um, what color skin we have, it just... This depends which place in the world we were born, you know, but it's the same round planet. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So, but London is just beautiful because of that, because everything is so close. So many cultures so close to one another. You don't have an area and then a wall around it or whatever, you know, a fence. It's just merges into one. That's what I love about the city the most. And I think this is possibly the most special thing about London because all the big cities around the world there's so sort of clear areas like in like in New York you have this Italian quarter then next to it is something else but in London it just goes from one to another I've always loved that like I would now out of all big cities that I've ever been London is by far my favorite and it's solely because of that because how people love each other that's why Ali Ash you're gonna make us tear up I thought that yeah, but it's true, the, though, the mayor's going to call you to do the next the next London is Open adverts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Alias, talk to me about you in the club because, as we know, London is full of show-offs, especially around the kind of Soho area. You know, you've got all of these creative communities, whether it's theatre, radio, TV, like, you know, magazines, whatever. Pe- people are show-offs, right? So when you are going to the club, are you actually in the middle of the floor? Or are you just like that? I'm, I'm more. It's not for me, really. Uh, I've never. I'm not, I don't know. Even from ever, really, I never went out to a club and just danced because I do it every day, all day, anyway. And I almost take going out, and it's more about socializing. It's more about meeting new people. It's more about having a having a good little bevy. And uh, enjoying, enjoying like, you know, the human contact. That's why I always, that's why I struggled with COVID a little bit. Like the last, you know, that like, because that was mm. taken away. That was the first thing that was taken away. That, so, that uh, social interaction. And uh, when I go out clubbing now, I, I rarely even dance. I'm more of a step clap kind of guy. Because it's like the same as if you're a footballer. If you go out socialize with, with mates, you wouldn't bring the ball with you. You know, like you can't wait to not see it. And uh, I mean, we're all different. All of us dancers are are different. But I, I've always kind of felt a little bit embarrassed to go on a dance floor and to just show off my great cha-cha-cha skills. I almost feel like... But your cha-cha's great. I don't Listen, know. I still, every time I hear that doing Eva song, I'm still just like... Sa, sa, cha, cha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just, I guess, being... A, Trying to find solace in home, especially when this is your second home, as you spoke about. How have you sort of reconciled with living somewhere as 
busiest London, but in a time where you haven't been able to have the freedom to do what you want 100%, especially when you can't get back to Slovenia. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, I'm so lucky that the sort of my path or whatever you call it sort of brought me to London because apart from maybe New York or Los Angeles is the biggest industry, the biggest community of dancers that exists anywhere in the world. I mean, you have West End in London, where it's, you know, you have so many shows going on every single night. You have dance companies, you have the culture. I feel like in UK, it's really well looked after in general. And um, I mean, judging just by how, when we do our own tours, when we go around the country, it's not just how many people actually dance, but how many people appreciate art. I mean, we we sell theaters that, you know, you could never sell in any other country in the world. I mean, I have friends that do the, the same show, Dancing with the Stars in America. And for them, it would be extremely hard to to, to sell any seats for, for a tour or, you know, to do a dance show. Well, I feel like in UK, the appreciation for the arts, it's immense. And I love that. I mean, and for, for being an artist, it's nowhere better to be, really, if you ask me. Because even not just how much people love it, but how perceptive people are to something new. It's It's absolutely beautiful. You can create something that makes sense only to you but when you put it on stage the reaction that we always get it's so positive and it's so welcoming and it's so lovely i have to say that as well as that is true during covid it went completely the opposite way there was absolutely no support absolutely no understanding i mean people were even told to to retrain themselves people were oh, told yeah. to you know become a mechanic now you can point your toes but now you need to fix a car and um, i was really amazed by that really because i was so impressed with with england with uk with how much people love arts and then i was so amazed at the same level how little support artists got through the through the toughest times for anyone and uh you know now things are slowly getting better because the theaters are reopening the shows are coming back but i do hope that there's not going to be a generation of talent missing because of you know how the things were being dealt with i do hope that that doesn't stop now kids that are talented going to drama schools, you know, exploring their artistic sides, whatever they might do, even if that's dancing, singing, acting, I hope that, you know, those decisions didn't affect that because it would break my heart because there's so much talent in UK. And when I, when I go see any show, I mean, it's mesmerizing to watch people perform. And uh, I do hope that, you know, I, I mean, hopefully that never happens again in our, in our lifetime, in nobody's lifetime. But I do hope that it's a little school for how to, you know, how to help a whole industry, really, when people are in need. Because, you know, dancers, as well as we are lucky to do what we love, but, you know, dancing as art form, it's not like acting. It's not like singing, you know. If you become the most successful actor in the world, you're sorted for life. Your family is sorted for life. Your family tree is sorted for life, financially or however you want to see it. 
with, with dancing, that's not really the case, you know. Like we, I'm not saying I'm complaining, but oh, it's no, a different it's, level it's, of you know, it's a different level of success if you if you wish on a, on a global scale even. And uh, so I was really amazed by the, by the lack of support, especially for you know for our industry. Yeah, I think um, to put it colloquially, they need to put some respect on dancers' names <laughs> because anytime there's any sort of crisis, whether it's medical, e- economical, which is obviously affected, that the, the two interlink. But it's you know the arts are the first place we go to try and mend our broken hearts. But then what happens when the artists uh, are broken themselves? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, you always seek refuge in something that makes you happy, something that puts a smile on your face, something that takes you away to a place that it's not as bad and not as harsh as the reality is sometimes. And if you don't have those places, you know, where do you go? And uh, that's why I felt like when we did Strictly last year, partner, I felt like the amount of love, even if you didn't read the message, but just you felt the love. You felt how much people needed that Saturday or on a Sunday. You felt it. And even there was no audience in the studio, which was the first time ever. And But I still felt those, you know, those faces in, in behind that camera that, that needed us more than ever. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm so genuinely so proud and delighted that I got to do it that year because nobody will ever forget that year and it it truly was magical and it's funny because you mentioned love like I've got this picture here obviously dear listener you can't see this so I'm going to narrate for you a little bit this lovely woman uh, painted this picture of me and you from the Charleston week and I got it framed I'm still trying to figure out where to to hang it but it's so it's so lovely but yeah that the but you really felt just how, um, well, yeah, just how respected like the, the, the art form is. So two things I want to pick up on. Um, you mentioned just, you know, being able to tour around up and down, particularly in London. What has been today your absolute favourite venue to perform in in the city? And do you remember the first time you stepped onto your favourite stage? I mean, the one that means to me the most that I'm the the proudest of of having a chance to perform in there was with with my Jeanette. I remember the first time we performed in the Palladium. That place, I mean, the history behind it, the stage itself, the auditorium, the 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 buzz you get from standing on the side of the stage and right before the show starts. And when you can say the words, good evening, London Palladium, I mean, I get goosebumps just saying it now and I'm not, and I'm not doing this from the, from the Palladium. That was, that was such a special feeling. I, I cannot put that into words. And then the, the second one, because of the, of the glamorous and because of the uh, sort of the amplitude of the place was the Royal Arbor Hall when the, and it was, again, it was a couple of pro professionals we did it with, but Jeanette and I performed this four and a half minute lyrical rumba. And it was the two of us. I've seen that. Have you? Yes, Have you? that was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and it was the two of us with this beautiful piece of music from the Sound of Music and 80 Pierce Orchestra from BBC. And that was, I mean, the, the place was absolutely rampacked and, I mean, you know, when you dance with someone you love, it, it sort of, it, it always, you know, adds that extra emotion to it. But I was so nervous, Clara, because 
that was possibly the most nervous I've ever been for performing anywhere. Um, but now thinking back, that has to be the most special moment in my dancing career. Dancing with my wife. Behind me is an 80-piece orchestra performing, playing this beautiful music. And in front of us is this auditorium of, what, four or 5,000 people? I don't know how many people go to a row before. It was absolutely full. Uh, that was one of the moments that I bottled, and I'm never going to let go of it. It was such a beautiful feeling. Ugh. Is it not bad for the kid from Slovenia? No, not, not bad. Not bad, no. <laughs> okay, right, Alex, before I let you go, um, I always ask people two things. If you were mayor for the day, what would you change or do to London? Oh, if I was a mayor for a day of London, um, my very good friend who who isn't with us sadly anymore for uh, sad reasons, um, one of her last things that I've sort of got across from her, one of the last messages that ever came my way was be kind. And uh, I think that's the one thing that not just for London, but for anywhere. Um, if you do that, I think you fixed half of the problems that we live with and we that bug us, that make us, you know, make us not better people. They make, a, they make us bad people. And then the second thing is smile. I mean... There's this video that I watch every single day that I wake up on the wrong side of the bed or if I wake up, you know, sad or upset or had a bad dream. is this amazing thing that this Guru Gaur guy says. Uh, he's like, um, like a spiritual guru. He said, do you have a problem in life? Yes. Can you do something about it? Yes. Then why worry? He goes, do you have a problem in life? Yes. Can you do something about it? No then why worry? And I feel like if you're kind and if you follow those little words and if you smile a little bit more, I feel like there, there are so many things that fix themselves with that. And I try to live by that every single day, Clara. And you know that I always try to put a smile on someone's face rather than, rather than anything else because I feel like it, it improves your day. It improves my day, even if putting if I put a smile on someone's face. And I try and do it on Strictly and try and do it in my marriage. I try and do it with everywhere I go. And I feel like if we if we can do a little, little bit of that, it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to be living like that all the time because there's always gonna be a bad day or whatever. But every mm -hmm. time you can, if you try and if you try and do that, I think it's gonna be a lovely place, even better than what it already is. Well, okay, that leads to my other question about smiling at people, because I always ask everybody um, who comes to chat is, what is your relationship like with public transport? Do you still get the tube and the bus? And if so, what's people's reaction to you? Because listen, let's call a spade a spade. London is known for being well, equally friendly, as well as a bit like, why smile at me for? I, you know what, now being up north during this series of Strictly, I realized how kind people are. Like London people are kind. I'm not saying they're not kind, but even if someone does recognize you, rarely people go out of their way to tell you that. You just get a look or you, someone takes a photo of you or someone just stares at you for a little bit too long. But that's okay. <laughs> I mean, long live the face masks and long, long live the, you know, that sort of. Uh, everything that this 
horrible virus did bring, that was one of the good things, if you ask me. So you got to duck around quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use the, the tube loads because it's such a convenient way to travel. I mean, to get from where I live to central London, if I drive, it's about an hour. But if I jump on the, on the tube, it's about 25 minutes. And uh, um, now, obviously, because I need to be in a work bubble, I, I always take a car because I'm just solely scared to catch something or, you know, to jeopardize my series or whatever, because it's not just me that I have to worry about. Um, but when Strictly is not on, yeah, I, I jump on a tube pretty much every single day. And I, and I you, love that. Do you chat to people? I do if it's not morning, because I feel like people are on a mission. Whenever anyone is on a tube in the morning, they're on a mission. They're not on a tube to go to Oxford Street to do some shopping. They're either going to Canary Wharf or to, to an office or whatever. So I don't feel like it's a... Yeah. Uh, I do chat. Hi, guys. Before, yeah, <laughs> probably, at, I would say afternoons when you're leaving work or when I leave the dance studio or especially after, let's say, a night out or whatever, that's when you always meet a, a friend on a, on a tube. And I love that about it. I love it. I have to ask, actually, one quick question. What's been the weirdest interaction you've had with somebody that sort of recognized you in, 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 in the city? Uh, I mean, there's never weird because Strictly is such a positive family show that you never get someone that it's not like, I, I don't know if you're a footballer and the someone you meet doesn't support the, the team you play for, you know, like Strictly, everyone supports Strictly. Everyone loves Strictly that watches it. So it's always happy and positive. The, not the weirdest, but I think like the, the funniest moments are the ones that, because me and Pasha look alike quite a bit, yeah? And uh, sadly, he's not on the show anymore, but at the time when he was, you know, it was so many times people would come up to you and come up to me and go, oh my, Pasha, I absolutely love you. I mean, your dances with Rachel, with Caroline, with, and obviously I'm not going to then stop someone to, you know, to tell me how much they love Pasha. And all I ever said when they would ask me, I, I did it only a couple of times. I didn't do it more than a couple. If they go at the end of that sort of whole uh, story about how much they love Pasha, they would go, can, can I have a photo? And I would say, I mean, that's the only time I ever said no. I would say no. But can you please make sure tweet how rude I am? And they go, what? And I'm like, no, I'm Pasha. Yes. But please make sure after now I've said no, I don't want to have a photo with you. Please make sure you tweet. And Pasha once actually told me, did you do that? Because someone tweeted me. I didn't want to have a take a photo with them. <laughs> oh, my God. And on that note, I'm letting you go. And I'm taking every listening. Take this as a warning. If you're ever in London and you're a fan of Pasha, don't go up to this man. No, no. I mean, no, 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 go up to him. He'll be lovely. Um, Aliash, my sweetheart. Partner. Partner forever. Always joy. Keep yeah. podcasting. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love you, partner. Thank you so very much for joining me for another episode of This City. I've been your host, Clara Anfo. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Please rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can catch the next episode as soon as it lands. Thank you so much again for listening. This has been a Sony Music fourth floor creative production. Oh